Hello, and welcome to Enabling Commons, a podcast at the McGill Center for Human Rights and Legal Pluralism. Enabling Commons is a space for dialogue among persons with disabilities and their allies to explore strategies that will transform our environments, our commons, to be meaningfully enabling for all. Hello, my name is Ellen Spanagle, and this is Enabling Commons. Today, we are very lucky to have Ipul Paosu as our guest. Ipul is an advisor for the Papua New Guinea Assembly of Disabled Persons and a leader and an activist. She has held a number of disability and leadership act advocacy roles. Ipul, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Ellen, for um, having me on this, on this uh, program and uh, nice to um, have a conversation with you. Uh, I'm wondering before I ask you some of the heavier questions, if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself and your work. Okay. Um, as you had mentioned, um, I'm currently, um, you know, an advisor to the organization, the National Disabled People's Organization in Papua New Guinea. But uh, prior to that, I held uh, the leadership role uh, since 2009, uh, when we uh, got the uh, National Disabled People's Organization, the PNG Assembly of Disabled uh, Persons, uh, inaugurated in well in 2009. So I held that position up till uh, 2018, and so I kind of play an advisory role to the organization. Uh, prior to actually joining the organization, the disability movement in Papua New Guinea, I was actually uh, working as an agricultural scientist uh, within the, uh, the National Agricultural Research Systems in Papua New Guinea for almost 27 years. Um, and then I went off to do my PhD uh, in 2016 and uh, uh, am putting together my, uh, um, writing my thesis. So, yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell me how some of your knowledge with agricultural science has been able to inform your work about the needs <laughs> of people with disabilities. You know, prior to joining the disability movement, I I was working as an agricultural scientist, as I've mentioned. Uh, I am actually a person with disability myself. I had uh, polio when I was a little girl. Uh, my mom told me, barely one year old, when I um, caught the polio virus, so it, it affected my leg. Uh, but growing up, um, I had never wanted to be part of the disability movement because of the, uh, or never wanted to be part of, you know, being closer to anyone with disability because of the stigma it had uh, on me when I was growing up. And I didn't want to have anything to do with disability. Um, so I kind of, uh, in my role, in my professional role, moving around uh, in my agricultural uh, uh, scientist career, I've, I've gone out to the rural areas and kind of noted that um, whilst, uh, you know, moving around, I kind of don't see a lot of people with disabilities, uh, particularly women with disabilities. So in 2006, when I was asked to, you know, attend the Women with Disability Leadership uh, Workshop in one of our uh, provinces, that was when I came face to face with 
a lot of women with disabilities and sitting among them at that time and listening to their conversations and their cry for, you know, uh, access to services, it kind of caught me and uh, I, I, I re- realized that I am one of them, you know, I realized my identity. I'm a person with disability and here there are women who needed a voice someone to uh, you know air their voice because being in the mainstream I I kind of got to understand the government system and see where there could be uh, you know assistant from the government to people with disabilities particularly women with disabilities and so anyway uh, in 2007 I, I was uh, confronted by the then Minister for um, Community Development, who was responsible for disability in the country, uh, she had wanted someone to lead the organization. And I, I also refused at that time, too, because I was working uh, and I had, you know, three children who were going to universities. And so I, I kind of said no, but she really wanted to make a change, Dame uh, Carol Kido. She was then our minister, and she wanted to uh, to make a change, you know, uh, bring to the fore the issues of disability. And then I realized that there is a lot of work to do. The the needs, you know, there was a need for you know a concerted voice, a collective voice, an organization. And I was just learning about the disability movement. So talking to you know the leaders who had been trying their best to. Uh, organized the the disabled people's movement in Papua New Guinea I said let's why not let's let's come up with a strategic plan and so we did put together a strategic plan in 2009 and it was at that moment that they said we need you to be our leader and um, I said I can be your voice but you all have to do the work and they agreed so I said okay I'll lead the movement so in 2009 I I was voted in as the president for the organization 2010, I recognized that, you know, I cannot be able to put a lot of my efforts into uh, leading the movement if I was working full-time. And uh, at that time, I was working with the National Research Institute, which is the PNG think think tank for socio-economic and political, uh, uh, you know, research in the country. And uh, I I told my director then that I have to leave the organization if I have to you know, uh, make a difference within the disability movement in the country. And I left my job then. You were saying um, that part of the reason why you got more involved in a leadership role when it came to disability justice and the disability movement was because you felt like there was a lot of work to be done. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about um, the needs of people with disabilities, where you live, and how all of that relates to climate change? I come from a small island uh, in Papua New Guinea, and it's, it's you know, further north from, from the mainland. So I, I, for me, uh, the, the, the sea level rising, uh, the erosion of the beachfront is, is an everyday thing that I I am faced with um, having left, uh, you know, my village to pursue my education uh, in 
when I went back in 2001, that was after 15 years, the shoreline had actually eroded by about 15 meters. So it's kind of like one meter a year. And I found the, you know, the difficulty in moving around. Um, I was um, really affected by that. And when I actually looked around as well, you know, in the communities, you know, old people and also there were people with disabilities who could not access the services in the communities. Uh, some villages have to be relocated, you know, further inland. And so, and, and by the time, uh, it was 2001 when I went back, although I have not um, uh, joined the disability movement, for me personally, it was, it was a struggle. It was a challenge. Uh, so when I kind of, uh, you know, joined the disability movement, I realized that there was no um, organizations for persons with disabilities which can have a voice, uh, you know, to, you know, create dialogue with the government. So when I was approached by the minister, I decided that I'll take that leadership. Because of, you know, my work, but also, you know, the challenges that I face as a person with disability, I decided that I'll take on the leadership role. And um, climate change, as you had asked, um, you know, I, I experienced it myself, uh, but also my first degree was in environmental science. So I kind of understood the, the issues that um, the climate change brings so in terms of uh, for people with disabilities in Papua New Guinea, the effects of climate change, you know, we only talk about uh, the, you know, sea level rising, but we have not really looked at issues like food shortages or uh, food security for people with disabilities. Um, so these are some areas that we still have yet to, you know, look into. Um, also, you know, the impact of relocation as well. Um, some, you know, small outer islands are relocating. And so the, the cultural um, perspectives of relocation, people, you know, moving away from the, the familiar way of life, these are areas that we still have yet to look into. Okay, thank you. That helps um, provide a really important picture, I think. I know based off of some of your speaking engagements and some of your work that you have also done a lot of work and research on um, women with disabilities in particular. So I'm wondering if you can tell me some about the specific needs of women um, in relation to climate change and relocation and all of that? You know, in, in Papua New Guinea and the Pacific also, uh, you know, the, the cultural uh, perception of subjugated role of women is, is a big challenge. And so when you start to think about uh, when you want to, uh, or looking at advocating for you know, the the challenges that women with disabilities are faced with. Uh, it, it requires a lot of political will to look at how best we can, you know, bring bring to fore the issues that women with disabilities face. So, um, 
whilst you know women with disabilities have faced uh, uh, multiple discrimination being a woman itself and women with and being a being a woman but also faced with a disability it, it becomes very difficult and so uh, Although we have a disability, we still have our, our role as a mother that we have to look after our families. And you know, there the was the, one of the reasons that I joined the movement was because of three women who, who spoke to me about the struggles and the challenges they were faced with. One of them was a woman who lived out of the main town. She lived on an island and she wanted to bring in, you know, her garden produce and, you know, see, see, uh, you know, see produce that she wanted to sell at the marketplace. But when she comes to the market area, there is no space for her. She is asked to sit on the, on the floor, but she sits in a wheelchair. And so these are struggles that women with disabilities face. They still have that responsibility as a mother as a wife uh, to the family. And so, you know, for, for us uh, women with disabilities, we've, we've kind of uh, decided that we need to have our voices together. So in 2018, I also ran a, a strategic planning workshop for women with disabilities. We've put ourselves together. We have been asked, you know, at times to be, to be represented at some of the discussions you know, that uh, general discussions around challenges facing women, gender-based violence and, you know, these areas. But it's, it's again, uh, our voices are not really that strong as yet. And I think it's, it requires that, um, that collective voice, uh, that once we have a collective voice or an organization that is strong uh, for the voices of women with disabilities, then we're hoping that our uh, issues can also be taken up. But there are champions, you know, within the country, community-based organizations that sometimes would take our voice to take the issues forward, particularly for women with disabilities. But again, talking about the area of climate change, um, like as I was saying, you know, the challenges that we face are much more than just, you know, you know, when you really look at women, for women with disabilities, it's because of the barriers, the environment, you know, the 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 uh, attitudes that we are faced with also further marginalise, you know, the the issues, challenges that people, women with disabilities face. So it it requires a strong voice for us to to bring our issues to the fore. You know, for me, I I, I always have this. Um, policy that I gate crash if there is a meeting and we are not invited. I just go and I sit there and, you know, when they're discussing about women's issue, I, I bring forward to the to the uh, discussions, the issues women with disabilities face. So it's it's some of those things that you we, there are a few of us that needs to bring forward to the, uh, to the table when there are opportunities that we, we can have, yeah. I really like that. Um, just hearing about how you like to, to gate crash meetings and make sure that's something that people are talking about. I'm wondering if you can tell me about some like strategies that have you that you have learned are effective when you're um, advocating for the needs of of people with disabilities, um, women with disabilities. Like, what are some of the things that you have 
and like you and colleagues and people in the groups you're working with have learned to be effective strategies when you're talking to policymakers and decision makers. Having that strong collective voice has been quite good. Um, when we when we started the organization, the National Disabled People's Organization, the first thing that I actually had done was uh, ran a series of human rights training for our leaders, so they understand how they can be able to shape the conversations. So we talked. You know, we we uh, went through the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities with our leaders at the provincial level, how they can use the CRPD to uh, shape the conversations around policy implications, you know, policy interventions. Um, and so that's one of the strategies that we use, you know, for for change to happen, we have to be the change agents ourselves. And this is uh, not only you know at the national level, but at the regional level, the Pacific Disability Forum has also we've also you know taken on that role of you know informing our leaders, our disability leaders, about you know understanding the government system, understanding uh, the various uh, policies, and you know being. Uh, trained on advocacy skills because you know someone can talk about issues but they can the the experience that we bring with it with it also you know tells a lot of uh, things so you know being the change agent yourself is is also it's one of the strategy that but we have to equip ourselves with understanding what we're talking about the other area that we also had you know, one of the other strategies is whilst we are, you know, uh, holding um, trainings for persons with disabilities, we also bring to the table or to the workshop uh, organizations that are involved in the area that we are discussing. So if we are talking about women's issues, we bring, you know, women leaders from mainstream women organizations we try to shape the conversation for them to understand, you know, where we are coming from. And so we create champions with, within the, um, you know, the groups that we are talking with, and they will be the ones that brings, you know, the issues. If we are not at the table, at least they can be our voice. Uh, so looking for champions within mainstream organizations. So if you don't understand what you're advocating on, then you cannot know how to shape the conversation. So in the first few years, that's what we tried to do, uh, build the capacities and the capabilities of our leaders to know how and what and how can they be able to to shape that conversations in making policy. Uh, and it, it, it brings uh, a lot of confidence to our persons with disability who are leaders in the provincial, uh, at the provincial level. So for now, when you look back, they are shaping conversations at the provincial level. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about your experience in advocating for the rights of persons with disabilities, especially in relation to climate change at the international level and what that experience has been like. I think it was 2016. Um, that 
uh, the AWID conference in Brazil. Um, it was at that time when, you know, a lot of women around the world had gathered in Brazil and um, we were talking about issues facing, you know, women. And uh, there was there was a discussions around climate change and because it's my area of, you know, prof- profession, I, I was interested to attend that. And that's what brought me to the COP22 in Morocco, in uh, Marrakesh, Morocco. Um, going to that um, uh, COP22 in, uh, in, in Morocco, I, I re- realized that um, the voices of people with disabilities were not really uh, an agenda on the table, although there were a few I saw about two or three people with disabilities, you know, participating at that time, but they came not as uh, part of a constituency on disability, but being part of, uh, you know, their own organizations. And uh, conversations were more around, you know, the impact of climate change and or the countries or the states are responding to you know, the impact of climate change, but there was not much around, you know, the various uh, constituencies. There was on women, which I went as part of. And so it was at that time that when we were discussing issues facing women that I also brought, you know, the conversations around women with disabilities. And uh, I kind of strongly advocated for the fact that whilst Whilst we are women, we have specific issues that really needs to be understood as well because of our disability and the challenges that we face. Usually at, at the end of the, the forum, they would have responses from the various constituencies. And I was asked to you know, deliver on behalf of the women and gender constituencies. And so I thought this was an opportunity that uh, I'll put forward you know, the issues faced by people with disabilities and particularly women with disabilities. Being a woman from, from the Pacific, which is really affected by the sea level rise and the impacts on relocations, I'm also an indigenous woman with a disability. And so I spoke on that as well. And it, you know, after that conversation, there were a, a number of Pacific Island leaders who came in saw me and they said, oh, we recognize that, yes, there are persons with disabilities and we don't seem to uh, um, bring the challenges forward as well. So it was, it was a very good conversation, Sam. I'm wondering if you might be able to explain a little bit more of those impacts. You were saying how when you did speak, some of the regional leaders came back and spoke to you and said, the, you know, these are important issues. Uh, we haven't been paying as much attention as we should have. Did they respond in a way that began to meet the specific needs of Indigenous women with disabilities? Within the Pacific region, there are uh, conversations going on around, you know, the impacts climate change is having on people with disabilities. Uh, the relocations, the uh, it's which is affecting their way of life, you know, because of the challenge, the the different challenges we face because of our, our disabilities, you know, being relocated is is going to also bring the challenge of how do we manage ourselves 
from an island, if we live on an island and we are moving into a mainland where, you know, the the physical environment is quite different from, you know, where where we have been, been you know, like for for instance in Papua New Guinea, there are people from an outer island. We call them the first refugees, you know, climate change refugees. They have moved into onto the mainland, and I had discussed with that woman, one of the women who who was. Um, She's an advocate uh, on climate change, uh, but particularly for those that have been relocated, not specifically for disability. And I did ask her the question about uh, how how are they managing uh, relocating people with disabilities onto the mainland. She was showing us a picture on bringing the people from the island to the mainland, building houses where it's on uh, stilt. And so I asked the question, how are you considering those who may have difficulties, you know, climbing stairs? And and she said, oh, yeah, we kind of uh, are going to be really looking into that area. So those are some of the things that uh, whilst, you know, people are relocating, we really need to, also have that voice of being there to to see how we can uh, shape that uh, conversations around the experiences of people with disabilities and how it can also influence the way things uh, are being discussed and you know how you can also consider their needs um, so there, there's there's a lot of areas. Um, there really needs to be a lot of discussions around how these um, this discussions can get into the into the policies, so that it there it's it's institutionalized and you know the the state to take that responsibility. Um, for us, as people with disabilities, we are only advocating. We can, you know, talk, but it requires that leadership uh, at that political level and also at the implementation level to make the change happen. Um, and it requires a lot of getting that voices of people with disabilities onto the table. You know, as a leader in the disability movement, we really need to have that network and connections with political leaders and also, you know, leaders in mainstream uh, organizations if we really need to make that change. But at the same time, we need to build the collective voice, our national voice. The voices of people with disabilities, we really need to build the, the capacities, but also the capacities of individual leaders, but also that national voice to be strengthened. Well, thank you for sharing your insight on what's happening in the country and how um, how leadership is working for those organizations and people on the ground right now in Papua New Guinea. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about your PhD uh, and the research you've been doing there on disability inclusive policies and mainstreaming disability across policy areas. Uh, 
yeah, just if you could tell me a little bit about that. Okay, thank you. In in my research, I found out that whilst people want to uh, make it, want to do something, you know, let's say leaders, political will, they they still need that capacity. They they need to have the capacity to understand disability issues before the 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 disability movement. Disability or people with disabilities are often looked at as people who need someone to look after. And so when you look at policies that have been developed around that area, it's about let's do it for them, the social protection policy. You know, let's have, you know, cash handouts. But, you know, the, 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 the way disability has, has moved on or, you know, has emerged is, is different when you look at the policies in country, the the policies were built around that area of let's uh, empower, uh, let's do it for them, you know. Uh, and it was focused more on the person rather than the environment, the barriers, you know, uh, that we need to remove so that that person with a disability can also participate uh, effectively and fully. So that those are the things that are found out in many of the policies that we have um, we have developed. So there is there is that understanding now that something needs to be done, but we have the the resources, the capabilities, and the capacities are not there. So there is a need for the government to start to look into building those if we really want to have inclusive. Uh, um, or inclusion of people with disabilities in mainstream social area. Uh, yeah. So there is an awareness that people with disabilities need to be included, but the resource support is, is lacking for that. Um, at the community level, you know, the, the leaders are beginning to understand, or the community leaders, but again, it goes to lack of community uh, resources both the local level and at the provincial, the subnational level and at the national level. So resource support is a is a big area. There is a need for resource support for inclusion for people with disabilities at various sectors of society. There is political will, but there really there is a lot of uh, resource support needs that needs to go with it. Uh, you know, the workforce or the employment level, educational level, health services, those are areas that requires a lot of support. Much of the support is really not coming from the government. It's the NGOs that are working within that space. So, for example, um, you know, sign language interpretation or sign language it's really not done by the government. It's done here in Papua New Guinea, church-based organizations. And so those are areas that the government needs to start to look into uh, in terms of uh, um, assistive devices. We don't have that in country. So we also have, you know, NGOs and other uh, organizations like, you know, the Letter Day Saints, the church-based organizations, that are providing uh, wheelchairs to people with disabilities. And so, and this is more focused or centered around, you know, the urban areas where these organizations are. 
in the rural areas, there is a there is a real great lack of this resource support. So these are areas that really need to be strengthened. Um, in 2015, when we launched the the updated version of the National Policy on Disability, the government announced sign language to be the fourth language of Papua New Guinea, but have not put the resources into that. I mean, uh, sorry, budgetary support to to uh, support resources for that as well. So there there is a lot of uh, things that needs to be done in order to to integrate um, disability or yeah to mainstream disability across um, or realign disability uh, across the mainstream policies sector policies yeah could you explain to me more about like what you see the role of disabled persons in this process looking like in terms of their leadership and their knowledge in mainstreaming disability inclusive policies? For disability in, in Papua New Guinea and in the Pacific, the main advocates have been people with disabilities themselves. But we don't have the power to make that change uh, at the policy level. It is the government, the focal points. And so this through the Pacific Disability Forum, we've had, um, uh, I think, three Pacific uh, Regional Disability Ministers, Disability, Disability Ministers Forum, where the discussions are now focused around how the government can streamline disability within the sectoral policies. So that that has been the the way we've we've tried to make changes at the government level at the political level people with disabilities are advocating for that change to happen uh, and we have we've we've used the the crpd as, uh, as our tool to 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 uh, influence uh, that uh, change at the political at the sorry at the policy level but it is the people at the, the, at the government level that really needs to make that change happen. And this is where they, they lack the capabilities, capacities to understand how to harmonize the CRPD with the various policies and legislations in country. So there really needs to be that capacity building for the implementers at the government level. Uh, who are the ones that have that mandate uh, to make that change. In line with that, another question I had was, um, what other topics do you think should be brought to the forefront in conversations surrounding disability and climate action? So I guess in that regard, like conversations surrounding disability and climate action, but also topics that should be brought to the forefront in policies right now. Um, we talk about climate justice, and uh, um, you know it's it's the issue of equity. A lot of people with disabilities. Again, I was talking about you know food security, you know uh, the relocation 
also the change in their physical environment that's making it difficult for people with disabilities to to adjust. We can talk about the experiences and the challenges we face, but we really need to start to discuss around the area of how do we bring these you know, challenges into the policy at the national level. There's a lot of attractions in the area of gender and women constituent I mean women because they've got that constituency and they are always there you know at COP COP conferences, you know. But we don't have that for people with disabilities. So until and unless we have our voices also as a constituent, we will continue to talk, but it's 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 gonna be either, you know, being part of another constituency. And so it's it's just gonna be an head add-on rather than, you know, mainstreaming disability into the conversation. So I'd, we'd really, I'd like to see that because, you know, let, let, for, for example, now, you know, the COVID-19, it's really affecting here in Papua New Guinea, but there's no conversations around the impact it's having for people with disabilities. We don't have access to, um, to accessing, you know, the testing center. Uh, they're talking about lockdown. People with disabilities cannot be able to access, you know, basic uh, food and, you know, the basic needs. So those are the the things that, you know, when you talk about disaster and, you know, impacts of climate change, having um, a voice at that table is better than just being a part of, added on, you know, to to another group. So I'd like us to look into that area as well, where we we needed to have our voice at that at that global level. My experience at COP22 was that um, I was the lone voice of people with disabilities, and it was added on with the gender and women constituency, or women and gender constituency. And it would have had more impact if that we had that, you know, uh, disability constituency because we would have looked at a lot more area uh, of, you know, of discussions around climate change, and that could actually help put more weight into uh, the national, uh, the state uh, reports when they were going back. But I, I, I really wanted to un- to know whether. You know that that conversation also had an impact on some of the country reports that whether they had actually in, integrated some area of disability into their reports is something I have not really looked into uh, here in PNG, but also in some of the areas in the Pacific countries in the Pacific. But uh, earlier on, when I was saying that. Whilst I was that lone voice at COP22, the Pacific Disability Forum had all, already been discussing around, you know, the area of, you know, disaster and climate change and in various uh, other forums. So, so, but in terms of climate change and at the global level, I would, would like to push for um, maybe our voice to be another constituency because it also brings a lot of, uh, you know, weight to discussing disability and climate change uh, as, as a mainstream area rather than just an add-on, yeah. I really wanted to thank you for 
just sitting down with me and very, very patiently explaining uh, some of the challenges and the opportunities you have had. Um, yeah, you just have so much knowledge to share, Pool, and just thank you for sharing it with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and it was, you know, great talking with you as well. Thank you for listening to Enabling Commons. Stay tuned for our next episode, and take care.